0: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: As we welcome you along to the programme, and without a shadow of a doubt, the RTE story is the story that keeps on giving. What are we into today? The third week of what the comings and goings of RTE. By the way, the very latest, because this letter was only issued this morning from uh, a solicitor's firm in Dublin and it has gone to the Joint Oroctus Committee on Media who of course are meeting later on this afternoon and it's on behalf of one Ryan Tuberty and his agent Noel Kelly and the solicitor's firm has written to the committee, to the media uh, committee to say that Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly wish to fully cooperate and assist with the commission's investigation. They believe they have important information Information That will assist the committee in its examination of these issues and also that it will clarify a number of matters that has arisen. I am intrigued by that statement. Both Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly kindly request to meet with the committee at a suitable time next week they would welcome the opportunity to set up their positions on these matters and then submit themselves to appropriate questioning from the members of the committee on what are clearly matters of public interest they also say that they in advance will prepare a booklet of relevant documents which can be shared with the committee in advance of them attending and actually they've also stated in that letter to the Oireachtas Media Committee that they've written a similar letter and given similar terms to the um, uh, the Committee of Public Accounts. So they're going to go before the PAC as well. Now, when I was saying earlier, get the popcorn for this afternoon with the media committee, that will be the one to watch when Ryan Tupperty and Noel Kelly uh, go before the two uh, committees. But of course, we have a day of action uh, today and already... We're hearing some of the information that has been passed on to the Oireachtas media because they would have requested an amount of information when RTE executives appeared last uh, Wednesday. And last night, RTE rocked again by uh, revelations of previously undeclared barter uh, accounts and remember this day last week, the management of RTE denied the existence of any other barter accounts. Details of a £1.25 million slush fund, and it was our own Colin Burke, came up with the word slush fund for client hospitality and sporting events. That had already shocked politicians last week. And now the existence of additional count, accounts, which had been flatly denied by the Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins at the PAC committee last uh, Thursday. That, of course, now is going to raise further questions for the broadcaster and they're going to face another grilling before politicians this afternoon. Now, ahead of their appearance before the Arochitis Media Committee, RTE last night released a tranche of documents. These were documents they were asked for relating to secret payments to Ryan Toberti as well as a list of the top 100 earning staff members. Asked about the existence of more barter accounts, a spokesperson for RTE said that the broadcaster will provide comment and content around these accounts at the Joint Eroctus Committee today. Members of the board And the executive, along with the former chief financial officer, that is a lady by the name of Breda O'Keefe they will att- attend. Now, it's the third grilling of politicians in just seven days. However, the former DG, Noel Curran, he's declined the information. Now, the chief the former Chief Financial Officer, this Brida O'Keefe a lady, she seemed to have a central role, though, particularly in the formulation of the contract for Ryan Tuberty's uh, contract. Now, ahead of today's Uh, hearing, committee members had demanded a suite of uh, documents. In particular, they wanted details of the barter account. They wanted the salary details of the high earners. They also wanted minute details of Ryan Tuberti's uh, deal. And some of that was received late last night. Now, the, the top 100 earners that's been released, but there's no names on it. And we knew that there might be a, GDP, a GDPR issue that they'd have to go and ask the staff members, are you OK uh, to have your salary publicly known? So what they've done is they've given the top 100, but they've redacted the names. But I can tell you that it's made up of 84 employees and there are 16 contractors of the staff, 10 are executives. 59 are management and the other 31 are either presenters or non-managerial uh, staff. It shows that the top executive at RTE is paid €270,000 per year. And the lowest, by the way, of the top 100 comes in at 117000 uh, which is six-figure sums. So at least 100 people are earning over six-figure sums at the RTE other documents that they've released shows that the former, D, well, the nearly former, or well, she is because she's resigned, at D Forbes, she actually wrote to Brian Tuberty to not only guarantee him the additional pay, the 75000 under the commercial agreement with Reynolds, but she also put in a letter, she guaranteed that RTE would not ask him to take a reduction in fees for the five years of that contract. That contract was going to go up until 2025, which to me, I was... That was a jaw-dropping revelation. How could somebody who knew she was going to be retiring from the role, how could she put a guarantee in writing that somebody wouldn't be asked to take a reduction in fees, particularly at a time when other members of staff were being asked uh, to take reductions? Now, also what's been revealed is a copy of that agreement between Reynolds, Ryan Tuberty, and particularly this thing of the the three dealer events that was required. But of course, the devil is in the detail there. What they signed up for was that RTE would cover the cost of those uh, dealer events, which meant building the set, hiring event managers, <clears throat> getting in catering. It in- includes the cost of food and uh, drink. And there would be 100 invited guests uh, in-, in guests. And now while most of the documents released, were supplied to the committee by nine o'clock last night a 10-year record of the barter account that wasn't available um, with RTE citing ongoing financial verification. Now, in fairness, I'm assuming you need a lot of work and a lot of workers to trawl through 10 years of records of the barter account. So I suppose we could give them a little bit more time, maybe, for that one. They're also looking for a review of the Toy Show musical. It doesn't look like they're after getting that either. But what has come out about the Toy Show uh, musical is that one of the new barter accounts is linked to that musical. It has been reported that RT spent as much as two million on the failed musical, although some insiders believe that they spent as much as. 3 million. I mean for example it's been reported that they rented out space at Croke Park for six weeks last year in order to hold uh, rehearsals for the what was a flop at the box office toy show, uh, The Musical. The um, a spokesperson for the minister last night said the minister Catherine Martin is aware that the board of RTE were meeting yesterday evening and notes comments on behalf of the board. She was awaiting an update from them. Uh, Catherine Martin said yesterday that she she will invoke powers under the Broadcasting Act which would appoint a forensic accountant to RTE. The first, she said, will oversee structure and culture at RTE and she said that the review will lead to a better RTE and the second is tasked with examining how RTE, the contractors, how they are engaged so there's a lot more to come on this story for sure but for me the biggie today is the fact that Ryan uh, Tuberty and Noel Kelly have both said yeah they have no problem at all they will appear before both committees and you know I suppose for Ryan Tuberty he really has nothing to lose if he can go in there and put his side of the story I mean at the moment lots of people are saying his career is uh, over and that he'll never at work again. Management within RTE want him back. There's talks that the workers within RTE wouldn't be happy about him coming back but if as he says in his letter in his letter from his solici- solicitor that he has more to add, that he has important information that will assist the uh, commission and he hopes to clarify a number of matters. So let's hear his side of the story and maybe by doing it he will save his career, only time will tell. Michael by WhatsApp. Patricia High. The RTE board should always remember one thing and it would make life so much easier. Tell the truth and you don't have to remember but tell the lie and you'll dig the hole deeper for yourself. Maura Doherty, who was the former chair of the RTE board, she was also chair of a of a subcommittee, but she failed to attend subcommittee meetings for at least four years, uh, to be exact, three years and 11 months. That's the, the REMCOM one, which is an important subcommittee because they meet and they are the ones that decide on any sort of pay increases. I know, for example, within our company and the structure of our company, if anybody new is coming in uh, the details of the contract, for example, has got to go to this REMCOM uh, committee, and they sign off on it. So RT had something similar. And Moya Doherty, as chairman of what was the RT Authority, uh, was meant to be on, was on that committee, but she didn't. She didn't attend. Secondly, says Michael, the subcommittee is required to co- report back to the board and share the minutes but, and produce the reports then in the annual report. But that didn't happen. The board was supposed to meet a certain number of times; it only met three times. Furthermore. Anne O'Leary, who was a member of the subcommittee, was asked last week uh, whether, whether the talent and the pay of presenters were, was within their remit, and She said it wasn't, yet the rules under that st- subcommittee state it was. Now, we all know that this morning that there was other barter accounts. When the current Chief Financial Officer Mr Collins was asked he said definitely only one. Patricia this is a sad day when we pay people to tell us lies thanking you and that's from Michael. Somebody said Patricia please will you stop referring to RTE staff as stars? They're employees they're not stars or heroes or anything else. Nobody in Ireland is a star says uh, this uh, listener and they're not all employees they are employees and they are contractors. <laughs> so I I will do my best to stop referring to them as stars and someone else says during Covid we cocooned by the way I always hated that word says this listener people were laid off had their wages cut and yet Ryan Tuberty were telling us we're all in this together would you give us a break it would take a pensioner 33 years to earn what he got in one year. And that sounds like someone very angry at the end of that text. Thank you for it though. 0862 103 103. A reminder, all this week we're giving away an overnight stay every day for two people in the Maldron Hotel. The Maldron Hotel is located right in the heart of Cork City Centre, so it makes the perfect place for a break here in the Rebel County. We will be giving you details of famous duos. I'll give you one half of the duo, duo and you'll have to identify the other half. By doing that, you could win for yourself an overnight stay for two people uh, with breakfast included at the Maldron. And we'll do that a little bit later on on the programme. Would you be shocked or perhaps surprised to hear that almost 1.5 million euro of public money has been spent on the long-awaited Cork Events Centre project since it was first mooted back in 2014 and that's without one brick being laid. To discuss figures obtained under the Freedom of Information I'm joined by uh, Cork City Labour representative and that's uh, Peter Horgan Uh, Good morning to you Peter
2: Morning Patricia, how are you? I'm
1: very well thank you. Were you expecting the public spend to be as high as 1.5 million?
2: Perhaps not as high as, as, as the figures that came showed but what it did tell me is something that I feared for a good few years now is that this project is just mired in delays and stalling and is now subject to continued inflationary costs. But you are correct, you know, 1.5 million of public funds, whether they're from City Council or from the department's central government, is a significant amount of money without any brick being laid.
1: And do we know where that money has been spent?
2: It, it's mostly going on consultancy, on legal fees, and that, that that's the bulk of the funding has gone i mean the event center as everyone knows i mean if you if you talk about the event center and i imagine sometimes your phones will light up when you talk about this issue on the show what i find when i talk about the event center to people in cork is that there's a roll of the eyes
1: yeah people's people eyes glaze over believe. yeah oh god you're gonna talk about that they again yeah
2: like, it's it's become it's become a shackle around the city um you know it's it's something that's talked about every couple of months. And nothing happens. We are told that you know, in the next few weeks, there'll be a final design. We're told, and you know, we've been told that for a number of years now. Um, and to bear with us, you know, we've we've bared with the authorities involved. But the problem that I have on the whole thing is the cloak of secrecy around it, that I am forced as a citizen to go down the road of the FOI uh, process uh, and and get this figure, these figures released, rather than the city council or the government. Being forthright and saying, "Look, there are issues, and there are issues, and COVID did throw up a number of issues in terms of, you know, of live events. In, in the middle of COVID, that was the concern. Like, are live events going to come back? I think it would all know now. Live events are back. Like, electric picnic is back soon. Taylor Swift is hitting Dublin. We had um, Elton John and Parky Queeve. You know, live events are back uh, in, in full flow. So." The problem that I have is that it's uh, we're currently at 57 million of public money being pledged into the, 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 the delivery of the event centre. Uh, and we don't have still don't have a final design of final costing on it. And that My 57 now,
1: million, that that originally when this first got mooted uh, and I'm open to what mm-hmm. wasn't that first meant to be 20 million of state funding?
2: Correct. Yeah, it was meant to be a 20 million state funding of a fifty odd million um, total uh, project, cost. total the total cost of the venue now has has expanded to eighty five million. Um, so that's and that's a total cost to the taxpayer of fifty seven million, and then as you said, one point four million spent on legal fees consultancy since twenty fourteen. Um, See, you know, I, I was
1: trying to remind myself uh, of, of dates and timelines when I knew that you were going to be coming on the, on the programme uh, today. And firstly, I, like, I was thinking, oh, God, it's nearly 10 years since. Like, next year will be the 10th anniversary of when we first started talking about the event centre back in 2014. Uh, and then it was Enda Kenny, amid much fanfare, turned the first it. sod in, in 2016, happened to be a general, yeah. uh, in advance of, of a general election. In, in the middle of the general ha- election. Had the, they started. In 2016. It, I don't believe so. But, but, but if they did, if they had started oh, it, when, yeah. when Ender very kindly said he'd dig the first sod for us, and if they had started building then, it'd be built and open by now, wouldn't it?
2: It would have been built under the year from what I understood at the time. It was, it was going to be up very, very quickly and we would have had events, you know, on the go from 20, end of 2017, 2018. Well, onwards, well in advance know. of Covid. Well, in fence, yeah. So the the idea that COVID, I mean, there is this issue of COVID being used as the great excuse. I mean, I have this this flippant remark that, you know, the two great excuses used on on issues in Cork is for not doing something is COVID and the dunk kettle. Uh, Because, you know, all money flow to the dunk kettle in every infrastructure project. And if you can't do something, it's because of COVID. Um, Those arguments are wearing thin. I don't think people of Cork deserve those arguments anymore. I think the people of Cork deserve city and county because this is. Although the city council is progressing this, it will benefit the county. I mean, if you are going to have big events, you will have you know hotel nights in the likes of Mallow and Carrigaline and, and and you know and and other parts of the city of the city and county. You know, it will improve. It will add to the city and county. It will add to the draw of tourism if we can host big events, if we can host big concerts uh, and big big business conferences, but. You know, I think I think the people of Cork deserve everything laid out in front of them. I have another freedom of information request coming back today from the Department of Housing. The Department of Housing is a central line department uh, funding this project with City Council. Um We need to know what is being said between the... Who knows what, basically. Because as I understand it, and, and dealing with my colleague, Councillor John Marr in Cork City Council, you know, a lot of councillors are in the dark of what's happening. I, I'm frustrated to see that this isn't an agenda item every meeting that there's something like if if the city council was forthright and you know laid out everything of the issues that were happening i would be full square behind them to say look there are issues it's complicated if this was easy it probably would be done by now but it's it's the veil of secrecy around the project for years and the kind of the hand up approach of Bear with us. We know. And we know do what we? To
1: do do we, do we, Peter, at this stage, have any timeline as to when work will commence, and then ultimately there, when it'll be completed?
2: We were told, I think, Q two. Uh, Q2, Q3 of this year, and as I, I understand how the queues work, um, quarters in the financial term, I think we're well, we're well past that deadline. The documentation released to me under the Freedom of Information indicated that detailed designs and subsequently final costings will be delivered by June of this year. It's now the fifth well, of July. Well, that's gone. Yeah. Um, so the freedom of information that I've requested from the Department of Housing was delayed. It was meant to come in last week. It was I, I got a request from the department to delay a week because they were finding some documentation. I acknowledged that. That was fine. I, I accepted that delay. So whether that delay now will show the final costings of any d- designs that have been published, I don't know. I know the chief executive was quoted in the examiner yesterday morning um, about it. I imagine if she had received detailed design costings she might have said it at that point. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I saw,
1: saw Owen oh, oh, English, you know, um, say uh, and write in the paper, work on the final design is understood to be almost finished. Like it's not finished. It's,
2: <laughs> it's, so it's just not finished bizarre. It's, so it's, it's,
1: it's, it is it's, just bizarre. I mean, you know, I mean, I can, saying, I can see people and, and, and saying, I can see people saying, will we ever get the event centre? Do you believe it will I, be built?
2: It, it's kind of something I wrestle with when I think about this project, a lot of people would say it's in the wrong area of the city. Um, a lot of people say it should be down in the Docklands. Uh, it should have been down by the Sextant, um, you know, as a place. But look, it is in the place it's going. I don't believe it should be a white elephant around the city, but I do think that we need to see clarity on it. I think it will be built. I think there's too many people, I think too many political people have staked too much of their political reputation on this for it not to happen because there's there's other projects that never happened, like for example the Cork Carry Food Emporium at the uh, the old Capital Cinema in, in City Hall, you know the Docklands is, you know the, we're at the second 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 life attempt at the Docklands. Let's see if that happens. Um, you know I, I think it needs I think we do need an event center. Mm. Now there is perhaps a need for another evaluation of what the event center will bring to Cork City. Um, There's an element of me that believes that the the report that underpinned the Event Centre was done so long ago, perhaps it does need to be looked at again. But without, like that, this is all something that needs to be talked about when we see the final figures. Yeah, yeah. I do and believe and that it's it needs to go back to the elected councillors. It's to a, say like, yeah, it's a change. are you happy with it? Yeah, because it was,
1: it's a change landscape in, in ten it, years. Another, yeah, yeah. And the, and and I know you just you, you briefly mentioned it there, but the one point five million, uh, while well, you know, it's a huge sum of money pales into signif- into insignificance when you see what came out from the public accounts committee. hundred and fifty million euro has been lost on abandoned. Projects the old Metro North and the Metro West uh, plants. There was also spending on the DART interconnector project, somewhere between 31.5 million and 38 uh, million uh, gone. They also looked. Uh, the PAC also looked at the procurement of eighteen vehicles by the Irish Coast Guard under a contract that was signed in November of twenty fifteen. Now, they, the vehicles were required and they were purchased for one point four million uh, euro. After issues were identified with the carrying ability of the vehicles, a decision was made to upgrade them to a higher weight. The cost of which hasn't been set out, but is likely to be significant. Goodness me, by God! But we know how to waste money and all in this country. This
2: all this is public money, Patricia. Yeah. It's taxpayers' money. If this was a private company, I can guarantee you, uh, heads well, they'd would be, be rolling. They'd be out of business. Exactly. Yeah. Can I just, on the point you mentioned there about Metro North and the DART, it's very interesting that all those abandoned projects are Dublin-based. Yeah. And I suppose for the last few years, we've been in a curious situation with three senior cabinet ministers from Cork uh, being a cabinet, one including the Taoiseach and North Honister. Um And I... I have a small bit of information regarding the Cork Light Rail network that just came to me just now in the last half hour. I had been told by the NTA that this was going to public consultation in July. Mm -hmm. My inquiries uh, this week tell me now that the public consultation uh, will be delayed to later this year because an an issue has been identified in the city centre section of the Cork Light Rail emerging preferred route. So we're at another delay. Of the Cork Light Rail Network, which has had approximately 1.4 million spent by consultants <clears throat> to date. And again, we haven't seen a route. Uh, I'm I'm I rarely get frustrated. I get very much frustrated in politics quite a lot of the time, but I'm I'm actually quite furious that this delay has happened at the at the, the last level before the public has even seen an emerged route for the light rail network. We have no one at Cabinet, we have no one it appears in Cork and the Earoctus. Uh, in Cork City, in the Oroctis, standing up for public transport. We talk about the need to reduce emissions, reduce traffic, but we're not marrying the two with the actual ambition that public transport in Cork City needs. Yeah, we, can, um, we can't uh, get uh, people it's, out it's, of cars. You know, another thing have... Is going to lead to more consultation fees. And and the public are going to be left in the dark. And you'll be
1: you'll be back with me in another year or two talking about how much how much money was was wasted on that project. Listen, I've got to leave it there, Peter. But I can see huge amount of reaction coming in by phone and by text, and people very angered by this particular issue. But listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Cork Labour representative uh, Peter Horgan. Eileen says, Patricia, would it not be better to cancel the event centre, put that money into housing instead? It's a joke at this stage. Uh, Simon Coveney seems to be the only one who really wants it. Do the few times that we have big concerts, we have Porky Creeve, we have Musgrave Park. They're doing a great job. Even the Mallow Racecourse uh, could be used. Do we really need an event centre, says Eileen. Somebody says, more money down the drain, time after time after time. When Is this all going to stop? Michael says 1.5 million. If that is the right figure, as you cannot trust any figures that are given these days, regardless of where they come from, it appears that a lot of the figures are ones that are seen to half please the public. But by God, 1.5 million would fill a hell of a lot of potholes and fix a lot more footpaths. Uh, Thanking you. And that's from uh, Michael. Now, last week we heard that a meeting was being held with all of the South Dock staff in Formoy with local concerns that the service could be closed or that there would be a reduction in the opening hours. Fianna Fáil Councillor Deirdre O'Brien once again joins me with the latest on this uh, story. Uh, Good morning to you, Deirdre.
3: Good morning, Patricia. Now,
1: what do we know at this stage? What was said and spoken about at last week's meeting of uh, the staff? What was the staff told?
3: They were literally told like this was going to be happening. And that it would go to the next level, but they were put on their warning that this will be happening, will be happening soon, and it will take effect immediately.
1: And what is that?
3: It's basically that the reduced hours for my would close at ten o'clock on the weeknights, Monday to Friday, and would close at six p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. So you don't have, like you don't have a doctor to call if you get sick after ten at night and between probably nine the following morning when your local uh, primary care health centre opens. So basically And you, Saturday then,
1: and Sunday evenings after 6pm. That's
3: it, yeah. So, you know, so
1: it's no longer an out-of-hour service then, is it?
3: That's it, exactly. And I cried you go to then. You cried, like The ambulances are overwhelmed at the moment. The A&Es are overcrowded. They can't deal with what they have. We hear every day about the crowding you no know, A&Es. I felt so bad, actually. It got to me so much, and like, people have been coming to me, and I was kind of thinking, God, the, you know, the uh, public centre, of, I feel, I know it's me to go out there. So I actually set up a petition and I'm just amazed at the um, traction on the petition. Like, I said yesterday morning there and there's 1,400 names already and I just localised there to our own area which it concerns. And people are seeing, like, they're just saying, what are we meant to do? You know, like, nobody complaining to get sick. Mm. You know, and, like, they know themselves that, like, even for here, okay, we, you know, we have a good road to Cork. But, like, at the same time, you know, bringing somebody and they may not need to go to A&E. You know, it could be, like, You know, it's reassurance in a lot of cases. And like, you know, he said, like, you know, none weren't medically trained. Someone could be sick and you know there's something wrong. But it could be something simple. It could be sorted by a local doctor as opposed to tri- all the way up to A&E. You yeah, know? And I like, mean, I'm thinking
1: like, of, of families with young children and we know how young children can very quickly spike temperatures and, you know, many cases it's an antibiotic and they need to get the antibiotic as quickly as possible. I mean, that's exactly something your local GP can give you or if it happens after six in the evening um, and inevitably it does, that's where South Dock kicks in.
3: That's right. That's right. And this is it, like. And I suppose... You know, during COVID, like there was that we didn't get to the doctor. But we can see a lot of the um, options from that now. A lot of people are getting sick, having got um, probably missed. You know, as early diagnosed, late diagnosed, and sick at the moment. You're quite sick, and I suppose I think early diagnosis is critical to everything as well. You know, um because something like that can kind of just start off something. You know, that you're like I find at the moment, people aren't even going to the doctor. And, like, you know, you need to go for your checkups and things like that. But, like, people are because the sure, we can't get employment in there. And, you know, they're just kind of saying, oh, sure, we can't go in there. At all. And they're just diagnosing themselves. But isn't that, Which,
1: isn't that another issue, uh, Deirdre, that I, th- I think you've hit on? With people finding it difficult to get same day appointments, some will say to get a same week appointment with their own GP. We hear from others who can't even register with the doctor. Isn't that putting more pressure? On South Dock, people who should be going to their GP during the day know that they can't get in, or if they don't have a doctor, they can't get in anyway. And um, so they wait, and then they call South Dock at six o'clock. Isn't that putting additional pressure on the service?
3: It is indeed, and that's what they're saying. And um, like South Dock have said to me, like that they, the staff have said, like you know, the people coming in, they're just so relieved that they got to see a doctor yeah. because when they rang their local living health or whatever, they couldn't get an appointment there. They were kind of told, it's an emergency or routine? You can't see a doctor now for maybe a week or whatever, or sometimes even it could be six weeks. I'm getting that all the time. I brought that up recently, actually, that I did question the, um, the running of the our own living health here in Mitchelstown, that people just find access to a doctor, just can't get in there. And they're told they're in a photograph or something. You get to see a doctor anymore just seems to be, I don't know, impossible. Like they were saying, there was about two doctors on duty there last week. Two doctors in living heads inside in Mitchellstown, you know. Like I don't know why they can't. Okay, there is a shortage of doctors, but I believe there's one or two doctors left in recent times because they couldn't walk with the the way that it works in Mitchellstown because they want to see their patients. They don't believe in getting this photograph in and diagnosing from a photograph. And people are saying that as well. Like they're kind of saying, you know, they want me to take a photograph and send it in, like butcher? You, know, you need to, I don't know I, I feel myself you need to see someone face to face and chat yeah, and, and yeah. a
1: doctor needs to see uh, the patient I mean I don't know if you were listening yesterday we had a, a young GP on from out on the Beira Peninsula uh, Dr Fiona Kelly I mean talking about I mean I, I went to bed last night actually thinking about her saying how in God's name she's in a little practice all on her own and she has about I think 5,000 patients and you just think, how is she going to keep going? You could hear it in her voice yesterday, Deirdre, yes. that she is already at uh, burnout. Um, yes. and, and yet we've got, we, and it's fantastic that more people are going to be getting GP-only cards, but an extra half a million are going to go into that system, yes. which is
3: just going to put even further pressure. I agree with you. Like, there's no point giving them the GP cards because they won't see the GP. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's easy to give out something that's not going to cost anything because I reckon they won't see GP. And this is it they need to be they need to look at the read, go back to the very start and see where the issue is. And like we're training lots of medical students, I know a lot of them are leaving, but you have to incentivize them to come to Ireland, to give them the you know, the what shall I say, the, the life balance in the work. Um, and that's probably what's off putting now. I know a lot of them would tell you they're in Australia and it's brilliant but it's not it's not you know, there can be ups and downs
1: there as well. It's not home. It's, it's, no. it's, it's not home. But Dr Fiona yesterday outlined a scheme that they put in place for, for rural areas. And this was this to encourage GPs from outside the EU who would like to come to Ireland to work as GPs. But she outlined to us the registration process and the procedure for those doctors who want to come to Ireland to work, they're willing to work in rural areas. And she said the red tape involved, it can take up to a year where she said New Zealand are going after those same doctors and they're done dusted and in the surgery within six weeks. It's like we can't, it's something as simple as that needs to get
3: sorted out. That's right, and that's going on for a lot of years now, bringing people, you know, nurses and that coming in as well. The, the red tape about it, it seems to be just so off-putting, you know, unless you get maybe an employer that's willing to drive it or whatever, but like the individual themselves just get lost in the system, you know, and I find that myself where you go to, like, look a politician, maybe, you know, TD, somebody, member of the doll is what you need in something like that case, maybe to, to work with the department on it, you know. But if they don't, like, they mightn't have the, the line into that, But whereas an employer here may me well able to, you know, have done it and know the way around it. But it is, it is the process. It yeah. is
1: the easiest process. Yeah, it's Lisa definitely. in Formoy says we can't tell our bodies when they suddenly are going to become unwell. If you are ill in the early hours of the morning, what are we expected to do? What do you do if a toddler gets violently ill at 3am in the morning? The area of Avendu uh, deserves better. Uh, thanks for that Lisa. And that's another good point about the Formoy South stock Deirdre, it's a huge catchment area.
3: Oh yeah. Just, I suppose like we're on the border here as well then like you're taking in like south tip Waterford um Everett, let's say limerick you know kind of goes out as far as Angguspren you do about that because like I suppose the South docks in the um their areas are probably much further from them you know so you will go to your nearest one and like I suppose Mitchelton really is the nearest town to a lot of villages mm. in like in the south of these counties so you would like your nearest town then you come to but like you can't just box us off into something like that, into county. You know, it has to be something. And that's it was never the reason the HSC was brought in to kind of make it more national as opposed to box it off into certain health boards but I don't know, is that working either? But um, yeah, and I would say that there is a, like I say, Living Health Commission on there, a lot of their um, patients are definitely from uh, counties, uh, neighbouring counties.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. are South Doc saying the reason for these reduced hours in the Fomoy service, are they saying it's due to lack of
3: staff? It seems to be, like, the agency are putting money into this and they're standing over it. And, like, they, they, they've promised that there's no... Um, they won't
1: close us. Yeah. yeah, we keep yeah. saying, they but, keep hearing that.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, like, I suppose they're saying, like, it's probably South Dock is was calling this. And I suppose the doctors themselves are saying, look, you know, we're all going to work these hours. But, like, the money is coming into South Dock, The money is there for them. So, like, I suppose it's very hard. Like, I don't see how the doctors can say we can close these hours and just leave the... You know, is there not a a commitment to a job or is there something to the people I don't know yeah, I
1: don't myself the, Yeah they're, they're the hypocritical oath uh, the hip, or whatever it's called yeah. the, the oaths that they, they, they take I know the HSE uh, remains committed to providing a quality out of hours service in partnership with South Talk in Fomoy across Cork and Kerry so they remain committed to providing a quality out of hours service but out of hours doesn't mean every out of hour because if you're after 6 on Saturday and Sunday you can forget about it OK yeah, so no. where, where is it going from here uh, Deirdre I mean I, I well, your voice. I can hear it in your voice. You're not letting it go.
3: Sorry, what you said, I, sorry? I can
1: hear it in your voice. You're not letting this go.
3: Well, I just feel like if we leave this go, you know, we're fighting for things at the moment, but in our health not the most crucial yeah. thing we need. Yeah, You know, and like we kind of, you know, we get people objecting to things and like that's why I just want to put out there to get people and um, get it out there about people because like, I suppose I do find at the moment people are afraid to say things as well. Like People are afraid to say you know, anything against the doctors in case they wouldn't get into the doctor. I know,
1: I know, I know. We get you that know? all the time. People are, Even, f- are, are afraid yeah. to, be, uh, to be critical. So there's another meeting, you say?
3: Yes, sorry. There's another meeting, then the board, then. And apparently it will be implemented there and it will probably oh, go. It's stressful. The thing is, you can implement it at the moment because, you know, it's quite the moment. This is a quiet time of the year. But, like, there would be chaos if this was, this was brought in, like, in... in the winter you know, ones. That, It's stealth, you know, and it's, it's the problem. That's the problem with it, okay. is that it's going to be smoothly brought in, and before we know it, it's going happen, and it's only when people start realizing when children get sick when they go back to school, or, you know, people get sick in the winter and a lot more they are going to go look for a doctor
1: and they won't have a doctor. Okay, uh, final text in good. from a listener saying, people's lives are at stake here. It's a disgrace. what South Stock are planning to do? If you live in, in the middle of nowhere, you'd be dead within a few hours. Okay, listen, dear. Do we leave it there. We need a vet. Yeah. Need a oh, vet you'll if get it a, vet. Night, a vet. Yeah, you'll get a vet in the middle of the night there. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, keep us informed, uh, Deirdre. Thank you for that. Me too. And Thank uh, you thanks for, uh, time for, time for time joining time. us. That says uh, North Cork Fianna Councillor Deirdre O'Brien. A to you to join us this Friday on the programme at about 11 45 for our latest Hours to Protect series. This week we're going to be talking to the Cork Nature Network and we're going to be chatting about the importance of biodiversity and how we can embrace it more in our daily uh, lives. That's on Ours to Protect uh, this Friday at eleven forty five. And actually I saw a piece on the news yesterday out of uh, Trinity College in Dublin where they've left part of the lawns just haven't cut the grass basically. And they've got rewilding and this I think is the second year they've left the grass uncut and this uh, very rare orchid has suddenly uh, appeared and it wouldn't have appeared, only that they decided not to cut the grass, that's all about biodiversity uh, and of course anything to do with gardening, it is Wednesday so Peter Dowdall will join us later on if you have a question for Peter, you can get it in either by text or WhatsApp or John Paul's taking calls 0818 103 103 Can I put an appeal out please For one of our listeners who has contacted us uh, this morning, this is Shane has contacted us. Now, I know there's probably other people in a similar situation to Shane and uh, his wife, uh, but he's so desperate and needs most that he's contacted his local radio station to see if we can help in any way. Uh, Both Shane and his wife are currently renting a house. Now, the landlord has uh, told them that he needs the property back because he's got a family member who needs to move back into the property. So it's all above board. The reason why Shane and his wife have been asked to uh, leave and they must now the, their eviction notice is up at the end of this month. Now, obviously they have been frantically searching. Locally to see if there is any available property to rent. They are looking for ideally a two-bedroomed house. They take an apartment, and um, the you know, the areas that they're hoping to rent in is the Boherbui, Kiskame, Desmond, anywhere really in the Duhallow area, because obviously that's where they're living at the moment. And I am assuming with work commitments, and um, that's where they want to live. So, anywhere in the Duhallow area, does anybody know of a property available? to rent they have they pay their rent weekly they've never missed payment uh, obviously they've, their, their landlord is feeling sorry for them as well but their landlord has no choice he needs to have the property back so they'll have references and everything they're really really uh, good uh, tenants we have all of Shane's uh, contact details obviously if anybody makes contact with us and I know it's a little bit like a needle in a haystack with the way the housing crisis is in the moment but maybe somebody knows of a property Bohabui, Bally Ballydesmond anywhere around Duhalo Hollow. Uh, is there a house for a renter? Say it can be a small enough property because it's only the two of them it can even be an apartment if you can help us or help out Shane it would be terrific 0818 103 103. give John Paul a call please and then Patty Oi was on who is a little bit irked uh, today because Pat's been out and about shopping and can't get over the number of shops everywhere he goes and he's seeing adverts if they're in the paper. don't know if we're running them on the radio at the moment but there's lots of ads and lots of shops advertising back uh, to school and Pat's come to the conclusion, can we not just give the parents... Are their kids a little bit of a break? Now, he fully understands that parents, and particularly if you've more than one child, Pat, parents like to budget throughout the summer so that they don't suddenly come the end of August and they're a week away from the children going back to school, having to go out and fork out on all of the uniforms and the books and the pencils and the copybooks and the biros and uh, the mathematical sets and all the other bits and bobs that you need for back to school. So Pat fully understands that people do like to budget. But Pat just feels the children are barely out after leaving the school gates. They're barely out a wet week and they are out. It has been a wet week actually since the primary schools uh, broke up. And do the children not need a break? That they're seeing all these signs for back to school as well. Would people agree or disagree with uh, Pat that maybe start all the back to school advertising maybe give it a couple of weeks into july to at least let the children start to have their have their holidays your thoughts welcome on that 0818 at uh, 103103 on the events centre that we spoke about in the last hour. Somebody says, Patricia, absolutely, we do need an event centre. And this was some people saying, do we really need one at this stage? And the fact it's gone on for nearly ten years. This listener says we do. It would be a great addition to the city and indeed to the county. Look at the Bord Gosh Energy Centre in uh, Dublin. It gets things like uh, the West End shows from London. Give the Cork people something. Yeah, and in fairness to Peter Horgan, he was saying that you know why the event centre will be situated in the city. It's not just for the city. It's for the county as well. And I do remember when it first got mooted, I thought about that as well. Having an event centre like that, it will attract bigger shows that currently we're not able to put on because we don't have a venue uh, big enough. And exactly, I love those West End musicals. They were exactly what I had thought about. And how many times have I had to trek to Dublin if I wanted to see a particular show? It would be great to have it on our doorstep. So yeah, I absolutely am with you on that one. I can see the benefits of having an event centre here in uh, Cork. Thank you for your text 0862 103, 103. John says, here we go again, once again, here you're talking about RTE. Is it not now time for RTE to be dissolved? It's rotten to the core, according to John. You wait and see. This carry-on has been going on since the days of Byrne." Uh, it's better they're getting at it," says uh, John. Uh, yeah, I don't know how how long back. Well, I don't. They won't be going back, I suppose, to the days of uh, Gay Byrne. They're certainly talking about the Bart account going back for the last uh, ten years. He would have been the first of the stars, I suppose, to start getting paid big money. Certainly in the early days, he wasn't getting paid uh, big money, but and he he got huge offers uh, to go over to the UK, but he didn't want to. Gay Byrne very much loved Ireland and loved broadcasting here so he, he turned down the big pay office to stay at home but he did by the time he left don't know if he would have made the days of when you know the highest paid star was Pat Kenny which would have been after Gay Byrne's uh, time and he was on close to a million don't know if Gay Byrne ever reached those uh, dizzy heights and some would say if he did he, he well deserved it he was a great uh, broadcaster and actually I've just seen on Cork Bio have put up a piece that we here in Cork we are the least likely not to pay We're the least likely not to dodge paying our TV uh, licence, while viewers in Cavan Westmeath in Dublin are the most likely to consider not paying the television licence where are they getting the information from? Well it was a survey that looked at internet searches in Ireland for information on how to avoid paying the television uh, licence and the results then have been broken down county by county and it shows the most honest counties when it comes to paying our television licence or at least the counties where people show the least interest in trying to find out information on how to dodge the annual fee of €160 were us here in Cork and they were all in Munster actually it was Tipperary very clear and uh, and uh, Watford. And of course RTE have always been saying that they're losing money every year because people are moving away from traditional TV, people are getting rid of their televisions and they're embracing the streaming service uh, in, in droves. So if you don't have a TV in the house then you don't have to pay for a television licence. RTE have said one, 16.5 households in Ireland now say that they are no TV at homes and that has increased 3% in just uh, five Years and of course the license fee is a huge revenue source for uh, RTE. If you look at last year's uh, figures, it from on post it brought in one point five two million in revenue, and the bulk of that, of course, went to. Uh, RTE and if you don't pay your television licence as we know you can end up in court and you can be fined up to a thousand euros so we are one of the best when it comes to paying our television licence now when we get to the end of all of this debacle with RTE I wonder because I don't think I've ever heard of so many people saying that they're not going to pay their television licence and people who always traditionally uh, paid it are considering not paying it because of the revelations that are coming out from the scandals at RTE 0818103103 And the West Cork listener says Hi Patricia Obesity is in the media at the moment. Personally, I have suffered obesity issues and my obesity issues stem back from taking a medication and from the medication issues, I went on to develop diabetes and I also went on to develop high blood pressure. Now, I have lost weight in the last number of months and I've stabilised. Obesity and diabetes is not down completely to an eating disorder. It can be down to certain types of medication that can go on then to cause diabetes and obesity. Uh, Thanking you, uh, Patricia. Now, and the reason that obesity is uh, been mentioned is scientists are calling for obesity to be renamed in order to better help policymakers and for the public to better understand and hopefully to uh, prevent the disease. And it has been researchers from around the world and actually it includes researchers from our own university uh, college in Cork and they're calling for a renaming. Get rid of the word obesity, come up with a different word and they say it would help avoid the ongoing confusion about the term obesity which currently can refer to the disease of obesity and anyone with a, a BMI range or a combination of uh, the uh, two. So this study has been published in the Obesity Review and they are looking for a new name on it. Scientists called for reconsidering whether the term actually conveys the reality of what is a complex disease because it can centre on environmental issues, it can be genetic in, in, Uh, Issues. It can be psychological, it can be behavioural, as well as developmental factors. And it isn't just down to body weight or uh, BMI. And of course, we know. A lot of people in this country and indeed around the world suffer from the condition of uh, obesity and we know that because when the appetite control medication, the Ozempic, uh, when that first went on the market, that has generated phenomenal demand uh, worldwide and researchers and patients with obesity are being sent to the back of the queue uh, because under the mistaken uh, assumption that they don't need the drugs as the drugs should only be given to people with diabetes and that is, is causing huge upset uh, to people who have obesity. So there is a call now for it to be uh, renamed but that West Cork listener uh, is right. You can end up with obesity issues because of medication that you have, have taken. So I think the scientists are right. There is a lot of misunderstanding and I think misunderstanding in the general public that when you see somebody who is obese, everybody thinks, oh that must be down to laziness, they're eating too much, they're not moving enough. But there can be a whole host of different reasons for what is a very complex at disease. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to, to 0862 103
0: 103. C103 jobs.
1: A heavy vehicle mechanic is wanted. Now it's for Capwell Garage. They're based in the city. You can apply online to ie. Steel fabricators and welders. They're wanted for an engineering workshop in Ovens called Margaret or Tony on 021-487-0017. Centre Stage School in Kanturk, they've got a vacancy for a teacher's assistant that is to start this September. 18 is your contact, and the email address is centrestageschool at gmail.com. And a delivery van driver urgently wanted for an immediate start in Cork City and County areas. John is your contact 087 718 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
0: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. dot I E
1: Now, the energy regulator, the CRU, has insisted there is still value to be found by consumers who switch their electricity and our gas suppliers. As it's emerged, there is a €900 euro difference between the cheapest and the dearest supplier. A man who has often spoken to us about the advantages of switching supplier is Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie, who once again joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Dara. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Dara, this is a huge, huge uh, savings. Uh, Starting with electricity first, nearly €900 between the dearest and the cheapest. That's a big saving. It is.
4: The reason why the savings are so big is because, as everyone well knows, over the past year or so, gas and electricity prices have absolutely shot up. They're at record levels. Um, It looks like they're going to remain at pretty high levels for the foreseeable future, unfortunately. So even a difference um, in the unit rate of maybe 10, 15 or 20% between different suppliers can add up to a huge amount of money. And as this report by the CRU showed, and which, if you go on to bonkers.ie, you'll see as well the difference between the cheapest and the dearest for gas and electricity at the moment can be several hundred euro uh one of the, che- the dearest supplier is is flow gas if you're on standard rate one of the cheapest is electric ireland and uh, yeah 900 euro i mean it's not an insignificant amount money. Now, I'll have to say the cheapest bill is still pretty expensive yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And, uh, and we're, so, uh, we're hearing
1: from listeners who are getting bills in at this time of the year and normally a time when their electricity bills are lower and people are floored yes. by some of the bills that are arriving.
4: Yeah, I think the big issue at the moment is that the €200 credit is no longer being applied. So the government was reasonably generous, that has to be said, by giving out those three €200 euro credits. But now people are getting bills for maybe March, April, the start of May, which can still sometimes be a little bit high, and there isn't a €200 euro credit. And particularly if you've electric heating, um, you, you're going to get a pretty big electricity bill. And prices haven't gone down. They have gone down on the wholesale mark. We're not seeing that feeding through for various reasons into people's bills just yet and uh, yeah there's some people getting shocking bills. i'm one of them myself i have to say i've electric heating i got a pretty big electricity bill uh, recently and go we're, on we're tell, us would, tell, tell, tell us how so, much tell us how
1: much it was,
4: it was close to 400 euro and that's just me in the house I don't live with anyone else uh, but I've electric eating and you know I, I'm on one of the cheaper rates uh, as you'd expect to put my money where my mouth is and yeah that's just me so some households are getting absolutely crucified by high gas and electricity prices um, and of course there was a recent report from the, the um, Eurostat, the EU statistical agency saying we have among the highest gas and electricity prices in all of Europe which doesn't help so So it's it's a tough time for energy customers still.
1: And have suppliers, Dara, significantly cut the discounts they were giving to people for switching?
4: Yeah, they have. So... Around maybe a year ago, you could still get discounts of maybe 30 or 40%, and that was the norm, really. Unfortunately, those discounts have gone down to around 5 to 10%. I would still say 5 to 10% is better than nothing. And when the average gas and electricity bill is maybe around 4,000 euro for an average household, that 10% saving can still add up to to several hundred euros yeah, and yeah. as you've said yourself as the you has found out the difference between the cheapest and the dearest gas and electricity bill can be even bigger than that so my advice to listeners would still be that do shop around don't go on to standard rates every year look at your gas and electricity bill to make sure that there isn't better value out there because you can still save some money yes the amount that you can save isn't as big as it used to be but there's still savings of a few hundred euros and and you know that's nothing to be sniffed at. Yeah, you know, yeah, better in your better in go. your
1: pockets oh. than than in the pockets of the uh, the utility companies. And even yes. if you don't want to switch, renegotiating with your current supplier that can that can deliver savings as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And this goes for any bill whether it's your broadband your tv your home insurance your car insurance haggling and negotiating with your existing supplier it's always worth doing it as well now usually the deals on offer for uh, existing customers who haggle aren't as great as those who actually move and switch but if you don't want to switch it's always worth you know haggling and just seeing what's out there particularly maybe if you're a broadband and tv customer i say because sometimes you know service mightn't be as good if you move to another supplier or sometimes you don't have that choice particularly if you're dying in the country uh, your broadband options can be pretty limited but yeah you know look at haggling uh, but also do look at switching and across all bills I mean at least every two years you should be switching I get that maybe people can't do it every year we're busy I get that but really once you've been with the same supplier for two or three years Patricia the chances are Trying you're to, overpaying yeah. or there's a better product or a better deal out there
1: Do you believe there are still some customers um, and perhaps maybe older customers that have never switched providers
4: yeah, so we think for it comes to energy potentially maybe 40 to 50 percent of households or customers have never switched which is a huge huge number and uh, not to pander to stereotypes i get that when people maybe get a little bit older sometimes there can be a fear in switching uh, there's a comfort in having the same supplier particularly if everything works and I, I, I know this from even sometimes getting my own father to try and switch tv provider and, and i get that sometimes things work and she's happy with the way things are but it, it does mean that you are like to be overpaying because they know that they have. I mean, there is that loyalty premium that suppliers will will charge you, and um, it, it varies by product. But particularly when it comes to gas and electricity, I mean, whatever about insurance, because there's so many things that go into a good insurance company, and of course, you want to make sure that the company is going to pay out in the event of a claim. But you know, when it comes to gas and electricity, this is all going to look and feel the same. Your kettle is going to boil no differently <laughs> if you're with Electric Ireland or, oh gosh, you're- yes to feel no difference. And it all comes through the same net. Only one electricity network, there's only one gas network. Uh, it's just basically a different supplier. Yeah, it, nothing like changes except the
1: bill. Yeah, yeah. That loyalty premium always annoys me that they, that they don't recognize loyalty. It, it always infuriates me. Harry, one of our listeners, wants to know Is, is Dara a fan of the smart meter tariffs? Harry has heard from some people that their bills went higher uh, when they moved to a smart tariff. He has a smart meter installed and he's looking into it. At the moment?
4: So smart media is very, very controversial at the moment. I am a fan of smart meters. We'll, get, we'll quickly talk about the, the Towers later. They are I think are a fan of smart meters because what a smart meter can do, it can tell you way more about your energy consumption and the uh, and the, the appliances that are using the most amount of energy. So, you know, like Patricia, if you went, for example, to the supermarkets and the bill was twice as high as usual, you'd look at the receipt and say, what did I spend? If the mobile bill came in and it was twice as high as usual, you'd look at the bill, the ice ice bill and say, who did I call or watch they download but with normal meters if you get an electricity bill for 500 euro you've no idea it's just over 500 euro you've no idea when you use this how you use this or why the bill is so high smart meters do away with that because they can give you way more insight into the appliances that are using that are costing the most amount of money and they can help you ultimately in the long term save Having said that, uh, because smart meters are just being rolled out, smart tariffs are also just being rolled out. And yes, some of the smart tariffs until recently have been great value. Um, And particularly people who are on maybe a day-night meter and who use a lot of energy at night, if they move to some smart tariffs they could have ended up paying more but better ones are being developed and actually electric ireland has a half decent one but there are there's several so you do kind of need to do your research and you make sure that you sign up to the right tariff but i would say it's Don't be afraid of getting the smart meter installed. You don't need to sign up for smart tariff immediately. You can leave it for a while and stay on the same 24 hour tariff. Um, And then hopefully over the coming months and years, better value, smart tariffs will become available
2: But some people are
4: saving money on smart tariffs at the moment, Patricia. Some admittedly aren't. Like I said, it just depends on how how you use, you use your electricity.
1: electricity. Yeah,
4: yeah. But, but but ultimately, I do think they are a good thing. They've been rolled out in other countries. Um, it, it, it means you don't as well have to submit meter readings. You're only charged for what you've used. You're not getting these estimated readings, and um, which can sometimes be wildly inaccurate. So, the, the pros definitely outweigh the cons but yes some of the tariffs have been a little bit of poor value of I think they're going to get better over the coming years.
1: Yeah I saw somebody recently who got a bill of 1600 and when uh, when people were quizzing her about it uh, it was on Twitter Uh, it was because she'd been on a number of estimated bills and they were completely off the mark and she got a really crazy bill.
4: Yeah, I'd always say to people to submit a regular media reading. Now, unfortunately, I think because of GDPR, sometimes the suppliers don't tell you when you're supposed to submit a media reading. Um, I used to be with SSE or Trist- you know, I'm with the Ireland at the moment and I have to say SSE or Trist- were great. Three days before my bill was issued, they would say three days to submit a media reading and do it. And, and, and it was great. It doesn't happen. With regards to some reason. And um, it's just because you, you maybe because of GPR. But I would say to people, you know, chat your supplier and try and make sure. Always pay for what you've used because you can sometimes overpay. Uh, but then, even worse, as you've said yourself, people can go months, sometimes even years, on estimated bills that sort have of underestimated usage, and then finally, the, the ESP man in. or woman who comes out. They get this absolutely shocker of a bill, uh, which is absolutely last thing that people need. So yeah, and that's where smart know, smart, smart meters get
1: smart meters gets rid of that.
4: It, it does. It, it, yeah, this is my point as well. But the smart meter, there is a, a, you can either choose a 24 hour connection with your supplier or half hourly uh, connection with the supplier when data is sent over every half hour. And that removes the need for, um, for, for estimated reads. So pretty much every time you get your bill, it'll only be for what you've used.
1: OK, a couple of other questions. The listener wants to know on prepaid power, is it easy to switch providers if you're on prepaid power?
4: it is there can though sometimes be a charge for the removal of the meter particularly when it's gas and um, so that's just something that people need to be mindful of because when you have prepaid you obviously have the standard meter that everybody has and then you also have the um, the, the, the prepay meter as well which you pay separately for. Um, so sometimes there can be an extra charge unfortunately if you do switch away um, but that's where you just need to chat your employer. Um prepay gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes. It tends to be more expensive although strangely at the, at the moment it's actually not. So prepay power power standard unit rate is actually among the cheapest which is quite rare that's usually not the case um, I get that it works for some people but I would say to a lot of our listeners usually you'll get better value and, As, yeah. and better discounts somebody with, else with, with, some, with
1: paper. someone else says I switch every year I'm on a dual fuel deal sometimes I feel it's not worth the effort the difference if any is peanuts uh, a saving of 900 euro please tell me how do you do that
4: <laughs> well, there's always a saving of around maybe 10%. So the, the saving of €900 Euro is, is the difference between the most expensive and the cheapest for electricity. Um, now, not everybody would be on for example if you were with flow gas so if there is anyone who's with flow gas and is on their standard unit range and you could be paying close to 60 cents per kilowatt hour for your electricity and then if you were to move for for example electric islands standard unit range and you'd be paying around maybe 40 cents that's where you get the biggest saving um but but, like it it depends who you're with yeah probably a lot of listeners now who are with electric yeah they're
1: already with the cheapest
4: yeah, they could yeah. be now. If they've been with Electric Ireland for several years, uh, they may not be getting a discount. In which case, they may get better value by switching to someone else, Um, or maybe they should just ring up Electric Ireland, you know, and haggle just to make sure that there isn't a slightly better discount that they could be on. But uh, at the moment, for electricity uh, out of the main suppliers, Electric Ireland is um, is the cheapest. The but I, I the used moment. to word cheap, yeah. <laughs> relatively speaking. It, it, it's still it's just an expensive. Crazy. It's still expensive.
1: Can, can, can you see the suppliers lowering prices to us, to consumers? I mean, as you mentioned, the wholesale energy ga- costs are lower.
4: They are, but, but come from a really, really high level. So just to put things into perspective, so in 2020, which I'd say was the last time we had kind of normal energy prices, And this is before COVID kicked off because it caused an increase in energy prices as well, because it disrupted energy supply chains. And then of course we had the awful war in Ukraine. The price of electricity, or just like electricity, first of all, on both the markets, was around €40 euro per megawatt hour. Now, that might mean a lot to listeners, but that's just what it was traded in. At one stage, it got as high as almost €400 euro per megawatt hour. It's now, over the course of the first six months of this year, it's at around €135 euro average. So it used to be, 40 that would have been considered a normal level and even then patricia back in 2020 we still had very high electricity prices compared to the eu average so it's now still around 130 135 so as you can see it's around three times normal levels and, and i'm not defending the energy companies here at all, but believe it or not the when prices shot up in wholesale markets at one stage the price of electricity was up by over 1000 percent the price of gas and wholesale markets uh last year at one stage was up by 1000 percent. no one's energy bills went up by over 1000 percent. the energy companies did absorb some of those increases but unfortunately the flip side is that when prices are beginning to fall and also because of hedging it does mean that some of those falls might pass on immediately to consumers but the the thing to really just highlight unfortunately is that gas prices electricity prices and wholesale markets are set at really, really high levels, and sometimes the opposition or certain people who want to make you know, the doll, you know, they'll cherry pick the figures and they'll compare it to a favourable time period. Uh, but like I said, they're set at really, really high levels, um, okay. and even last month in June they, they crept up again. Um, I, I'm hoping and forecasting that there might be a small decrease of about maybe 10 to 20% before the end of the year. We'll take but that. That would still be priced at very high levels. And you and, take it absolutely. And
1: then lots of people asking. High the same question does Dara expect the government to give energy credits uh, next winter
4: I think they'll have to because as i've said at most i think the 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 the, the, the fall in prices is only going to be about 10 or 20 percent and to put things into perspective in order for prices to go back to the normal levels we saw in 2020 which as i said still had our electricity prices as the third highest in the eu they need to fall by around maybe 50 to 60 percent so you know we'll take the 10 to 20 percent drop if it comes but there's no but still leave prices a very very high levels so yes i think the government would have to do but have to do something i mean if i was in government i'd probably say you know maybe 150 euro credits over um over three months so slightly less i don't think the government is going to be able to afford 200 euro in three right. installments it might yeah. be 150 euro and, a, and an increased fuel allowance payment again um, and i think they'll have to keep the reduced rates of that for the foreseeable future, at nine percent, okay. um, because the, the, the government is actually, even though it, it's reduced the rate of VAT to nine percent, because prices are so high, it's still actually taking in more than it was in VAT around two or three years of what
1: ago. It a lot more Yeah, yeah yeah that always uh, amuses me uh, uh, I need to yeah. find laughter <laughs> I and mean, something quick
4: mean, calculation yeah they you know, can actually reduce the price they reduced the VAT to 5% and still taking that's in as much w- as when it was 13.5% incredible it's incredible
1: alright listen uh, Darry, your mine of information your website of course place to go for people uh, to find out more about switching that's bonkers.ie and thank you once again it's always a pleasure to talk to you thanks a million bye bye that is uh, Darry Cassidy of uh, bonkers.ie Gogglebox Ireland and I'll fess up and say it's probably one of my favourite TV shows is returning to brighten up our evenings this autumn. And the producers of the series are now on the lookout for witty and opinionated telly fanatics to join the Gogglebox family. Connor O'Donovan is with Kite Entertainment, and they're casting for the new series. And Connor joins me this morning. Good morning, to Connor.
5: Hi Patricia, how are you getting on? I'm,
1: I'm very good, um, uh, thank you. Is there a formula for what makes the ideal participant in Gogglebox? There,
5: there really isn't, to be honest with you. Like, we have a bit of a wish list every year, but we never know the right person until we meet them. Um, we just want people who are opinionated, who are like up for giving anything a go, and yeah, who have a bit of banter with the people that are so we're always looking for families um, or wish list tends to consist of nuns, vicars, clergymen. <laughs> but they're quite hard to find, as you can imagine. But anyone is absolutely applicable.
1: Yeah, because the, the English version has managed to get uh, that lady, the vicar. She's. Oh, Kate.
5: Botley, Kate, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she was with them for a couple of series. Yeah. Like Kate was fantastic because she was really well read and she could give kind of very. Insightful opinion into some of the heavier pieces, just because I suppose that was her job. Like you know, mm. she's working in weddings, working at a funeral the next. But it was an; she always give an interesting take on different topics, and that's part of the appeal of the show. There's such a variety of characters there. You hear so many different opinions, but they're all very relatable in different ways.
1: Many people, Connor, will would feel nervous about the idea of cameras. But but do you find looking at the you know the the, the current and the and the previous participants do they settle in and almost forget that they're being recorded?
5: Oh, one hundred percent. Like our ideal candidate, but initially when we we're casting people, we might meet them for a Zoom chat or something like that, and we throw a few topics their way and just let them chat amongst themselves. And you know it straight away when you've got someone who just has forgotten you're there, which is exactly what we're looking for, you know. Um, that's where the people you take part in the with are so important. It's people who just, you lose yourself in the conversation and they're just naturally interesting to listen to. So when we make the show, I won't spoil all the magic how no. it's made, but there's no crew in the room with you when it's happening. Yeah. So people really do just... Act exactly like they would when they're not being filmed.
1: Yeah, and and because I love when you show pieces of you know when they're getting ready to sit down to watch a television uh, program and the banter and the antics that goes on, so you can straight away see they they are oblivious to the fact they've forgotten that they're actually being recorded.
5: Yeah, we love it. Like we call that the preamble. Um, so that's just like we let the fam, we just let the cameras roll before we start sh- uh, showing the man anything. And you really just get a little glimpse into their lives and what they're actually like with one another. And it really, I think those parts, even though they're small, they really make the show, you know? And we find the audience and the fans get really interested in those parts in particular, like, because these people are all really relatable in their own ways, even though each household is so different.
1: Yeah, because we've all ended up growing to to love these people that appear every week on our TV show, and and at times you almost feel like they're your friends.
5: Oh, that's it exactly. It's like it's sort of that effect, like when you're listening to a podcast or something. Yeah, you, know, you, you get you feel so like you're part of the conversation almost because it's so normal, and it's one of the things of the show that no one can really quite believe it's as successful as it is sitting down watching people watching TV. But it's that thing I think that makes a good show. You can nearly place yourself in it when you're watching it, you know, and really relate to it.
1: Yeah, I often, because I'm a huge fan of of both the Irish Gogglebox and and the UK one, uh, but I I always make the point that, you know, when I first started watching it uh, and realised this is such a clever, clever idea for a programme, you know, who was the genius that one day walked into a TV executive's office and says, I've got a great idea. I want to record people watching TV because it, it seemed like nuts. And yet it is so, it is absolutely uh, so uh, successful. I mean, it really, it's it's fantastic. And what I love about it is when you're watching programme, when you're watching it and, you know, the the participants will be watching programme, you watch during the week. And sometimes they'll make a comment that, exactly the same comment that you or another family member made when they were watching it.
5: Yeah, totally. I mean, and we do try to keep our... um as varied as possible because they all take different takes on things but one thing we're particularly looking for this year is um maybe people who are really into the news and have a lot to say about it because um we do pride ourselves on showing a lot of news items and we love people who can take potentially like maybe a bit of a mundane topic and just put a really entertaining spin on it yeah like you know or have something really strong to say like uh about a news story that's been just going on in the background that hasn't particularly caught your attention. I love when someone makes that very accessible. Um, so one sort of thing we're particularly looking for this year, we love some real avid news readers, people opinionated about the news, kind of have their finger on the pulse with all that sort of thing. Um, so if you think that might be you, we'd love you to get in touch.
1: Okay, and it's 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 pals as well as families.
5: Mm. Yeah like we, like you can apply with absolutely anyone to apply you have to be over 18 but um, you can apply with a family member family members even if you're under 18 as long as someone applying with you is over 18 but you know, we encourage i th- i would have a think if you're interested in applying who gets you relaxed who do you really show your true colors with you know and I think families are great for that. People tend to automatically go for their friends, but families are great for that because, I don't know, people, you're a different version of yourself when you're at your family. You know yourself, no one yeah. kind of riles you up like a sibling or gets your goat and stuff, but those sort of moments are really funny. In the same way, no one has your back quite like a family member or a sibling or something like that. And we love getting the glimpses into people's dynamics and family's dynamics.
1: Uh, It's again, people can identify with it. There'll be a family makeup that'll be exactly the same uh, as yours. And will many of the existing families, Connor, uh, be back this year?
5: That's right. Now, I don't know exactly person for person who's back and who's not because, you know, they're they're all living their lives and they've all got busy lives. But I believe majority to everyone is back. Good. Um, Good. Don't hope onto my head and asked me to promise that but at the moment I believe so
1: yeah because they're all terrific they, they really are terrific and, and it won Best Factual Entertainment Show at the recent TV Awards
5: it did we're delighted um, yeah just really really humbling to see how enjoyed the show is by Ireland like you know um, K1's had loads of success but it's great to see the Irish version doing its own thing I think and still being very successful with that like, the Irishman, I think, has always really embraced Irishness. I mean, I think in the very first episode we ever did, they covered the Angelus. Life. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, they've really embraced all those Irish quirks and things and made it their own thing. So I remember like that the, really...
1: the Cavan brothers um, at the they were watching. I think it was been in all Ireland or something. And the national anthem came up and uh, came on and the two of them stood up. So on the camera, yeah. all you could see was their legs. But they stood up in their sitting room. And I just thought that was the sweetest thing. Because, again, in so many households, people do that. Not everybody does it, but it, it, it does happen <laughs> in, in so many other households. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So how do people apply, Connor? Well,
5: if you want to apply, this is the important bit. You need to email us and the email address is casting at kiteentertainment.com. So that's casting at kiteentertainment.com. Kite is spelled K-I-T-E uh, in case you're wondering how I pronounce that.
1: And what so do you what and what do you, do you send? In, do you, you don't need a video or anything, or do you? Video clip no, of the family, note.
5: So what will happen if you drop us an email saying anything, You'll get a bounce-back email asking for, from, for some specific information. Okay. So we're going to ask for your name, um, your age, your live-in, and who you're thinking of applying with. Ideally, these people know you're applying. Uh, we do phone people back only to find out everyone they've nominated, was not aware of this. But okay. Ideally, let us know who's in your group, who you'd like to participate with, and let us know your contact details, um, email and phone number. And just tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us what sort of TV you like, what your dynamic is like, in your own words. And it would be great as well if you sent us like a picture of you guys just so we got a sense we were talking to. And ideally from there, we'll try and organise as you call caught something and get to know you a bit.
1: Okay. Trish Mallow has a question, wants to know, uh, if you do, if you, for the families that do get selected, how do you know if the camera is off outside of when you're watching uh, the television or is the camera always on?
5: Uh, no, it's, it's not always on. Don't be in a panic. No. We'll give you a good heads up when the magic is happening. Okay. Past, so you won't get caught off guard or anything like okay. that.
1: Okay, that's important. Yeah. All right, listen, so we're, Connor. We're. We're, not, we're, one we're big brother with this, right? Yeah, we are really looking forward to, to it, and it'll be back on our screens in the autumn. And I really do hope that you get a lot of uh, Cork participants, particularly the big shout out for any of the nuns or priests who are listening, casting at kiteentertainment.com. A pleasure talking to you, Connor. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Patricia. All this week, we've teamed up with the Maldron Hotel. They're located right in the heart of Cork city centre. And every day this week, we're giving away an overnight stay for two people, which includes bed and a breakfast. And because we're sending two people away to the Maldron, we are basing our questions on famous couples. I'll give you one half of a duo, and you have to try and identify the other half of the duo. So today's duo are a male singing duo, uh, an American folk rock duo, uh, Simon and... You name the second part of that famous duo, Simon and... And we need you to text on WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We'll leave the text open for about 10 minutes. We'll select our winner And as I say, one of our listeners will be heading off to the Maldron in the city centre, Cork city centre. It makes it a perfect place for a break in the Rebel County, and you'll get an overnight stay for two people. And following a rested night's sleep, you'll get a wonderful breakfast before you head home, or maybe head off exploring around our beautiful Rebel County. So get texting or WhatsApping on that second half of that duo, please. Simon and and you must put your name and address uh, please uh, on it 86 103, 103 and it is by text and WhatsApp only uh, please and we'll put all the correct answers into a hat and we will randomly select today's winner and while we're waiting for our winner to today's uh, competition let me go to some of your texts coming in we are talking about Gogglebox in the last hour that prompted a listener to say I would rather watch paint dry than watch Gogglebox it's dire and sad that people actually watch it. No, I am not boring. I I just choose to watch intellectual programmes and I wouldn't dare accuse you of being boring just because you don't like uh, Gogglebox but isn't that what makes up the world? How boring would the world be if we all liked and disliked the same thing? I personally think it is a fantastic uh, show and it makes me smile from start to finish every week when I watch it. Be it the Irish Gogglebox, Ireland's that we were chatting about today are the one that's over in the UK and the UK have a couple of different versions they've a celebrity one as well and i just think it is a great bit of fun but there's nothing wrong with you not 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 liking it and there's nothing wrong, wrong with you choosing to watch intellectual programs continue to enjoy them. 0818 103 103 and staying on intellectual programmes and TV uh, programmes. Uh, how are you doing Patricia? I think the credibility of RTE management is now gone completely. If the story of more barter accounts are revealed and the story of spending on cars. Yeah, there's a story in the paper uh, today on the amount of money RTE spend on cars and on getting their cars serviced. It's, it's close to a million I think. It's been revealed in the paper, today. If that's found to be correct, uh, so Michael they're losing all credibility I really feel RTE will lose so much on license fees and commercial activities that will no longer be able to function effectively I hope the new DG has a sharp axe as so Michael says, he is going to uh, need it. And we need public service broadcasting. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, something has to be done to sort out the mess. But what I will tell you, and it has been uh, breaking throughout the morning, we know that these barter counts uh, has been revealed. We now know that there's three barter accounts. We'll hear more about them all uh, when the Oireachtas Committee member, m- members meet this afternoon and when they quiz the RTE executive. But I just spotted there during the news at uh, 12, Sean Defoe, um, one of our political correspondents, who we often have on the on the program, he's obviously going through the barter account li- line by line because I'm assuming it's been revealed uh, to the media in advance of the Araxes meeting this afternoon. Now, some of it is jaw dropping. For example, contained in the barter bar- barter account, someone in RTE spent. Five thousand euro on flip flops it was for some kind of a summer party or something, and maybe the ladies didn 't want to be wearing their high heels so five thousand euro on flip flops all I can say to that is you should have gone to pennies. They spent two thousand euro on balloons their four point two four point two thousand was spent for memberships uh, for membership of Soho. House. It's a private members' club in London. Now, see me, the reason for it is they held meetings in the UK. So why they needed to go to a private members club, I don't know. Why they couldn't just meet in, the, in a hotel and, and have a cup of coffee and a chat, I don't know. Or I assume if you hired an office, a shared space, it would be cheaper than uh, over 4,000 for Soho private members club, which I imagine doesn't come cheap. Uh, just under 1,000 euro was spent on client parking. Clients were invited in for a talk. They had to pay for their parking. 9,000 euro was spent on the Aviva Stadium boxes and that was to take clients to the likes of Harry Styles Westlife and the Eagles but they didn't mention how much the client's lunches cost because they also took them out to lunch and Sean Defoe also said, forgot to add they spent just under €3,000 on personalised notebooks €2,867 on personalised notebooks, maybe they were gold, you know that gold, that gilt gold that they use, just crazy so we're going to get more and more of that type of information as the Uh, certainly as the afternoon goes on, because they've got copies of the Barter Funds and they've asked for a breakdown of what the money was spent. Um, I know Richard Chambers has details of of particular concerts. I like, remember when the Spice Girls came to Croke Park, they spent €7,688 euro that on tickets and looking after clients. Uh, nearly €14,000 was spent on Ed Sheeran at Croke Park. They could have brought them to Cork. We might have looked after them cheaper. Uh, not that much on Garth Brooks, actually, just uh, 2500 um, was also uh, spent. So there will be lots more, as I say, of that information this afternoon, and it literally is going to annoy the life out of other people. It really is. I can just imagine the anger. People will be seething, in particular, I think the members of the Aroctus Committee, because I think they think that they've. I mean, I know. Christopher O'Sullivan from West Cork who was a member of the committee and she joined us last week and he's actually going to be joining us tomorrow as well following what he hears uh, today but I heard him during the week saying it was like pulling teeth trying to get the information out of RTE and when they have information like this in front of them it's going to be very hard to justify how anyone decided to spend €5,000 on flip-flops for clients to attend a summer party just could you not have said to the people, bring your own flip-flops with you? It just seems crazy. And it can be guaranteed to the majority of the clients who took those flip-flops, they went straight into the bin. And flip-flops by their nature are made of plastic. So i would be thinking of the environmental costs to it as well. 0818 103 103. And there we are this morning talking about trying to help people save money on their electricity and gas uh, bills. Um, and my apologies, there was more commentary in from for Dara of of, uh, Bonkers.ie and I didn't get to all of the comments so my apologies on that Connor in Blackrock said he switched TV and broadband last year and he said well it all worked fine for the first month he said the new supplier then cut him off after a month when he eventually he eventually got it sorted out but he said a, a year later he decided when his contract was up to go back to his original supplier, but he said it's proven to be such a hassle. He said, is there a way that you can switch TV and broadband provider and make it easier, a little bit like what they do with electricity? And I don't know whether that's down to the company that you switch with or the time of the year that you switch with when it's busier than other years. I, I really, because I switched... broadband provider and it was one of the easiest things that I did they gave me the exact dates that they were going to be there they arrived they installed the equipment switch over I don't think I was without broadband for more than an hour or two I think at the max Uh, but then that's not the same for everyone Uh, Alma said it's such a palaver not a great word palaver, uh, to switch um, Alma says she switched broadband provider in the last year and the time delays they were without broadband for a week people not turning up when they were meant to turn up and just to transfer from one provider to another wasn't done correctly she could go on and on now she says she's never changed the gas or electricity provider and she keeps them separate and plays through the post office well I would suggest if you've never changed provider then you are certainly overpaying even if you go to your original uh, the person you You were with your original provider and tell them you want to remain with them, they will offer you savings because I know last year I changed the previous year and last year I I checked on the, you know, the bonkers.ie, what we tell everyone to do. I'm getting really good about, you know, if I say something, then I should be doing it myself as well. So I went on bonkers.ie two years ago and I switched to providers, got a really good deal. It was at the time when they were offering great savings. And then last year I took a look at bonkers.ie and realised there was very little savings uh, to be made. But I got back on to my own supplier and they gave me, I think, a 14% uh, discount, which I would have lost if I hadn't contacted them um, the, uh, myself. So it is certainly worth not just sticking uh, with the one provider. 0818103103. Our 10 minutes are up. I don't know if John Paul has had the oh he has well done he's always ahead of me uh, our Maldron winner you can stop texting us and WhatsApping us on that because I need to clear the text on the WhatsApps in order for questions to come in for Peter so you can stop texting and WhatsApping and John Paul has randomly selected our winner and we're going all the way to County Limerick for our winner today and it's Esther Dowling don't know what part of County Limick you're in Esther but congratulations to you because you're now coming to County Cork and you're coming to the city centre to enjoy a perfect break in the Rebel uh, County with an overnight stay for two people including your breakfast at the Maldron Hotel and of course it was Simon and Garfunkel. That's who we were looking for uh, today. So congratulations Esther Dowling in County Limerick. That's three of our overnight stays given away. We have two more to go. We'll give another one away tomorrow. We've freed up the texts and the WhatsApp's now 0862 103 103. If you want to text or WhatsApp us with a gardening question question for Peter Dowdell, who will be joining us in a couple of minutes. The C103 Cork Diary.
0: With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie.
1: And a reminder to you that uh, a Marymount pop-up shop has opened and it's open all this week from 10 in the morning until 8 in the evening. And it's in Kilbritton Parish Hall with all proceeds going to uh, Marymount. The Donnerail Court Collection by Kira Buckley. That's on exhibition in the drawing room at Donnerail Court. Now, every day from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that's up to and including this Friday. And remember, you can avail a free entry to Donnerail Court along with another uh, a, a number of other OPW sites. And that's on the first Wednesday of every month. So that means today, if you want to go along to see the Donnerail Court Collection by Kira Buckley, it'll be free entry today the Kids Treasure Hunt and DJ Denny Disco is on tonight that's part of the Kildallery Hill Fest admission there is 5 uh, euro and staying with Donner Court, you can avail of a free entry I've just mentioned that sorry And um, the, the URC that's the United Rugby Championship Trophy that's coming to Skibbereen Rugby Club now it's happening tomorrow Thursday 2 o'clock in the afternoon it's a great opportunity for all rugby enthusiasts and their supporters because you can meet Gavin and Liam Combs and celebrate their accomplishments. Everybody welcome to attend and that's at Skibbereen Rugby Club tomorrow afternoon at 2.00.
0: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See MIG.ie.
1: And I can already see a load of calls and comments coming in, people fuming when I was reading out the, uh, the information we have so far, uh, when it comes to what RT spent out of these barter funds, one point six million. Uh, but they are they are forensically going through it to find out wh- what made up the one point six million. Because we did hear last week of the bigger events, like the one hundred and eleven thousand euro to fly uh, f- two staff members and four clients to the Rugby World Cup in uh, Tokyo and there was you know huge sums of uh, but they were the kind of the big ones but these are the smaller ones now that have been broken down and I think the 5,000 euro on the flip-flops is the one I can't wait to hear what the politicians are going to say about that Ed said 5,000 euro on flip-flops and D Forbes uh, was looking for for more money in the licence fee you really couldn't make this uh, stuff uh, up and someone else says Trisha I'm absolutely fuming listening to to you announcing some of the items that were contained in the barter fund particularly the one on under a thousand euro paying for staff and clients to go for a talk uh, and they paid a €1,000 on parking and yet every ordinary person has to pay for parking in a hospital. I am fuming, absolutely fuming over that particular one. And John says, Patricia, it is time to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to RTE. €5,000 on flip-flops. Now, where did we hear the likes of that before with Shirts says uh, John, harping back to a different era in this uh, country. And as I say, more to come, I think, from those barter accounts this afternoon, 0818 103 103. Yesterday was towards the close of the programme. Somebody had uh, contacted us to uh, say about the USE charges. I was talking about the budget and I was talking about the summer economic Forum that was held yesterday, and that we know the government there, the parameters that they set out of what they're likely to spend. And next October, in the budget, you know, there's talks of tax cuts, etc. And one of our listeners uh, suggested that if nothing else, what the government should do is to abolish the USE charge, it should simply be removed. It was brought in in this country as a temporary measure during hard times and yet it's been left in place. So the listener who contacted us, I think it was Bill in Clonakilty, saying you should run a poll online and ask people because Bill reckoned a lot of people would agree with him. So we just put it up as an Instagram uh, poll and the results are just in. I'm not surprised by this. 96% of people who took part in our Instagram poll said that they wanted the USC charge to remain. No, they didn't. Uh, they didn't. 96% said they wanted it gone. Only 4%, I don't know who those were, <laughs> 4% of people said the USE should stay in place and of course a lot of the different government ministers and backbenchers they are all going to be fighting uh, with the finance Ministers about different things that they want included in the budget, and one that I think families will certainly agree with. This is coming from a Fianna Fail backbencher by the name of uh, Paul McAuliffe. He has called for child benefit to be extended to to, to young people up to the age of nineteen. If the young person is still in full time education. Now, we know of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party, they're meeting today, and at that meeting, they discussed what the Fianna Fáil Party's priorities are for the uh, budget. And of course, we know a number of Fianna Fáil politicians had railed against the proposals from Fianna Gael to cut tax by €1,000. So, this Dublin North West backbencher, Paul McAuliffe, he said an extension in the child benefit which help householders who are really struggling with the cost of living crisis. He said an increase in the age because I'm open to correction but I think it at 18 isn't it? Regardless of where they are in school there was a time when they would always pay the child benefit you know if you hit 18 say in January but the, your, the young person wasn't wasn't finishing school until June during the leave-in search. I'm open to correction, but I'm sure they used to pay it up to uh, June. But now, as soon as they hit 18, they lose it. So what what Paul McAuliffe is uh, saying, an increase in the age would ensure that uh, it would help out householders. And he said for many working families, it's the only social welfare payment that they get from the state and they rely on it to buy the essentials. Now, we did have in the one-off payments last year. Uh, parents did receive a double payment for child benefit but he said given that most teenagers now don't finish leaving cert until at least 18 years of age and many of them actually celebrate their 19th birthday while they're still in school especially with transition year they're all doing an extra year now in second year he said it's important that these families continue to receive the payment particularly where the teenager is still studying he said the household benefits package that also hasn't been increased in 10 years despite the continued rising cost of energy and he believes the government needs to do more to shoulder the cost of the these uh, hikes. Now, we do know that the finance minister, Michael McGrath, um, he was asked to comment on this and he said he was unaware of what Paul McAuliffe had uh, said. Um, He had issued seemingly Paul McAuliffe had issued a statement but uh, he said he hadn't seen the press uh, release but he said with all of the expenditure items, he said it will be down to a matter of negotiations within the uh, budget and obviously he's doing his job along with Pascal O'Donoghue and of course they have to listen to All of the parties involved. And he said there will be a lot of demands in all directions and lots of people asking. He said, we'll deliver a budget jointly, himself and Pascal, and they'll continue the negotiations, he says, in the spirit of cooperation. And he said, we'll do it professionally. Michael McGrath said he and Pascal Donoghue sat in on the last three government leaders' meetings on Monday nights. And that obviously was to discuss the budget process. And the finance minister's comments came after he revealed the parameters for the budget for 2024 that will be announced in October and the parameters will be about 6.4 billion and that's along with an additional package of one-off cost of living measures and we predicted that yesterday it looked like that's the way and that is the way that they're going to go the formula will be similar to what they did uh, last year so hopefully that will include the energy grants that I spoke to the money off our electricity bills that I spoke with Dara Cassidy about earlier the finance minister said the tax package to be announced the 10th of October by the way if you want to mark that in the diary for budget day he said that's going to cost the Exchequer 1.15 billion Minister McGrath added that he believes his budget plan will uh, include putting aside 2.25 billion of the windfall corporation taxes and that will be done for infrastructure projects and he said that will meet the prudence uh, test and hopefully with the infrastructure projects maybe we'll get the event centre that we were talking about earlier as well Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. and I don't want to let the programme uh, finish the programme without mentioning the uh, the girls and the World Cup because there's gorgeous pictures in all of the papers today of the Ireland Soccer Squad with their manager Vera Powell. Uh, also included in one big group photograph I saw is the Minister of State uh, Thomas Byrne. The Thornish Micheál Martin is there. The Sports Minister Catherine Martin. That was a nice day for her yesterday because she's having a tough time of it at the moment on account of media being under her remit as well. And obviously the teacher clear Varadkar They were all it was a World Cup send off that was done at Farmley House in Dublin yesterday. And at that send off The Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, paid tribute to the Irish soccer team ahead of their departure for the World Cup. And of course, the World Cup in the Ladies Soccer is going to be held in Australia and in New Zealand. Now, the team are making their final public appearance before the tournament tomorrow. And that's when they'll take on France. That's a friendly match at the Talla Stadium. And then the the girls will kick off. The World Cup, they have a glamour tie for sure against the co-hosts Australia and that'll be in Sydney on the 20th of July and then they will take on Canada. They'll have to fly to Perth for that, that's six days later and then their third group game, Will be against Nigeria on the thirty first of July. And Leo Varadkar, speaking to them yesterday, said qualification for world tournaments does not come easily. It's through hard work, commitment, and dedication of the players, the coaches, and everybody involved with this team that Ireland, are, are Ireland has a place at the World Cup. Uh, and of course, it's the first time that our ladies have qualified for the World uh, Cup. And he went on to, on behalf of the government and indeed everybody in Ireland, he went on to congratulate the team on. on reaching the World Cup finals and to wish them all the best and it will be a little bit of excitement as we go through the month of July uh, watching all of those uh, matches and the times because it's in in Australia um, I think a lot of them are are evening times but it's kind of daytime and morning time for us to watch them on uh, TV but certainly there's always a bit of a buzz whenever Ireland gets into any World Cup finals Uh, so we wish the very very best of luck to the Irish Ladies uh, Soccer Squad what? 0818 three John Paul continues to take your calls. Bill has been on to say there was a time where people were counting out how much slices of bread they'd left in the pack in the pack to see where they had food for the next day people were pinned to their collar while now we're hearing RTE paid out €5,000 on flip flops it's disgusting I think the I think the um, flip flops is the one that's really going to get to people another text in saying "Uh, Patricia I can't believe it €5,000 on flip flops there I am every week trying to get the price of the television licence stamp so I'll be ready when my TV licence uh, comes in and I'm struggling. It's uh, an absolute disgrace. Uh, thanking you, uh, Patricia, for highlighting this. I think people are really just yeah disgusted. I think disgusted seems to be a lot of texts that are uh, coming in. Hi, Patricia, the parents. This is on the uh, Paul McCall of the Fianna Fáil backbencher saying that they should extend the child benefit uh, to 19 if the young person is still in school. Hi Patricia, the parents would need an extra year so they could send their Leaving Cert children on holidays. Oh my God, somebody is against the notion of giving anything extra to uh, parents of Leaving Cert students. Okay, let's take a break and we'll come back and we will chat with uh, Peter Dowder who will we'll answer all of your gardening questions. So if you have any gardening questions, get them into us now. You you can text our WhatsApp – to 86 And John Paul is also taking gardening questions by phone at 0818 103, 103
0: Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: Uh, Peter Dowdell at uh, the Irish Gardener.com. Com uh, joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good
6: afternoon, Patricia. How are you?
1: I'm. I'm. I'm very well. A lot of wet weather this week, uh, but I suppose the gardens need it.
6: The gardens do need it. Now I was up in uh, in your part of the world yesterday. Actually, I was up just beyond Mallow, and I was out in a garden, and it started to rain. And I said, "Oh, here it comes now." What everybody had been forecasting, but uh, I was expecting twenty four hours of rain nearly. But no, we did, we got some heavy rain, but but uh, nothing, nothing for too long. But the gardens do need a bit of rain. Yeah, I feel I feel, uh, feel um, <laughs> careful even saying it in case people say, shut up, shut yeah, up. But, uh, yeah. but the gardens do need a bit, yeah.
1: Yeah, because somebody has has brought up a question about that. Um, do, do, do we need to still keep an eye for watering, particularly those plants that are in containers, or do we just let nature do its own thing with the rain?
6: No, without question, you'd want to be paying attention to watering at the moment. Uh, It is warm, it is dry. We have had bits and pieces of rain, but nothing serious. Now, if the forecast comes true, we'll probably have quite a bit over the next few days, but the forecast hasn't been that accurate for Cork, the Cork area, in the last couple of days. So uh, I would say, particularly planting containers or anything that's newly planted in the last 12 months, you would want to pay attention to watering, definitely. Now, of course, I would encourage everybody to be to put in a couple of water butts or rain barrels and, and harvest your own water so when the rain does come yeah. uh, and then even if there is a, a pipe shortage later in the summer, you should hopefully have a, a couple of barrels filled that you can use yourself.
1: That's a great idea. That is really a great idea because, because <coughs> some of the, particularly some of the hanging baskets, they can dry out really, really quickly. I mean, it's a very, it's a blustery day and it can be quite mild as well so they can dry out very quickly when the rain disappears.
6: Well they can and the rain often doesn't get to them as well because they can be under the eaves of houses or something and if you think about a hanging basket there could be anything from you know 10 to 15 plants yeah. taking the water out of that one basket of soil so it, it does, it can dry out in 24 hours.
1: Okay, we sent you on a picture that a listener had sent on to say I sowed a packet of marigold seeds in mid-May they've grown perfectly and they look very healthy except no bud has appeared to flowers from Anne in Skibbereen there's no buds j- on any of them
6: there isn't i see that i just had a look at the picture just before we came on air uh trish and it it's the answer is one word i'm afraid and it's, it's, it's the most important word in gardening isn't it it's patience they, okay. they look absolutely fine and um, the fact that there's no bud yet i wouldn't be worried i know you're probably seeing them in garden centers in england full flower but most of them will be grown under glass and forced a bit to be in flower early uh but anything that we're growing naturally like that marigolds from seeds um they may not be in flower yet. I, they, they look absolutely fine. A shot of tomato food will do no harm. It'll certainly help promote flower buds. Um, a good if you have a good quality organic tomato food, um, use use that. Uh, but I wouldn't be too worried. Just keep them well and watered. Ca- again. And
1: can I also say to Anna Skipperine, the amount of marigolds she's after getting out of a little packet of seeds is incredible.
6: Isn't this ma- ma- magic? Like you buy a packet of seeds, probably for I don't know anywhere between two and four euros, uh, and one six pack of marigolds will cost you probably four or five euros yeah. in the shop now two months later uh, and she oh God knows how many dozens I'd say yeah, she has Yeah
1: they're fabulous and they all look so healthy and they will flower beautifully and send us back and when they're all flowered send us on the picture of them all flowers, so we can take a look at them Okay hi uh, Peter I bought stock plants for the first time this year they flowered beautifully but now there's very little flowers I'm just wondering has it finished flowering now that's Margaret in Douglas
6: yeah, the the most of the stock that you'll get in garden centres are the annual form. There are some perennial stocks, but um, not nearly as good in flower ascent as, as the annual form. Um, Matiola, Matiola incana, is the, the the correct that's the species of of stock that is the annual one that is gives us the scent, and they are magnificent. One of my favourite of all. But when that first flush of flower goes, you can remove it to a little uh, a little node on the stem and it will fight you, and you will get a second flush of flowers. But nothing like the first one, I'm afraid. Uh, so it's not that they're gone, but the, certainly the best of them has passed for this year, definitely. And they won't come back next year. You'll have to either get yourself, like we were just talking about, a packet of seed for next year, yeah. uh, or buy more plants yourself for next year.
1: Okay, Mary. Uh, not a week goes by that we don't get the crystallineia hedge uh, issue. Mary's on to say hi. One, I must pull out some of my Griselinia hedge in the autumn due to root rot. Rather than having to replace all the soil, because it is a huge job, is there anything I can put on or in the soil instead to kill off the fungus that caused the root rot and also possibly stop it spreading to the rest of the hedge? Now, there is a second part of the question, but let's answer that part first.
6: OK, well, the first part of that question is that she's going to remove it in the autumn. You don't have to wait till the autumn to remove it. It's only important to wait till the autumn-winter if you're taking something out and you want to save it, like to move something. Then it's important that it's autumn-winter. But if you're taking something out, as in this case, to, to stop the spread of disease, I would do it sooner rather than later. So you could do it now. Um, in terms of, and I totally understand what you're saying, that you know removing soil can be a huge job. Um, the best thing I can recommend to you is to use the, the copper sulfate, which is always, always my go-to weapon if you like in the army when we're dealing with the fungal problem. So if you make a, a solution of copper sulfate and water, drench the soil with it. Um I'm not going to, to, to say it'll certainly fix the problem, but it's it's the best thing you can do and then look for look for plants which are more resilient. Uh Agnes is a good hedging plant which um off the top of my head I'm not 100% certain so I don't want to say that it's not a host for Phytophthora or some of these root rot but I think it's not but we, you'd want, we'd want to double check that one online to make sure I'm right before before recommending Yeah because that's
1: the second half of Mary's question <coughs> what type of hedge would you suggest planting there that's resistant to uh, root rot and she doesn't want anything that will go higher than four foot max and she wants to know have you ever heard of something called Fiscus Tuffy and if so what do you think of it?
6: I don't even know if it's uh, plant name no, i it, say
1: it's a type of a hedge
6: is it a type of hedging what, maybe what, what was the first word in it? Fiscus F-I-S-C-U-S
1: Fiscus i no, no, never, never, heard, never heard, heard of it, it.
6: I'm okay. I haven't heard of it um,
1: alright so go back to the one you suggested that you, you do the one I would
6: suggest is a plant called Eleagnus, which is a mouthful of a name but it's a lovely lovely evergreen hedge it's kind of ever grey if you like and the, the new growth is a lovely silvery colour now there's a variety called compacta which will stay relatively low that's not to say it won't ever get higher than four feet. It probably would, but not hugely, and it's not quick growing. Um, the, the, but you could easily maintain it at four feet. I suppose to keep the the overall height is really down to the maintenance of it where you want to keep it. Um, so I would look at that. Look at look at native plants maybe like privet as well. The Gustrum, which is isn't quite evergreen, but it's semi evergreen. So it's kind of if it was a a normal winter, it would stay in leaf, but a very harsh winter, it would drop them. Um, I, to the best of my knowledge, it's not susceptible to, to, to these root rots either. I know conifers are, so I wouldn't remember, sorry, not all conifers, but most conifers are, so I wouldn't be looking at them. Um, but you're you're on the right track, or you're, she's on the right route, if you pardon the pun, to, instead of trying to eradicate the root rot, we need to look for plants that are going to be more resistant to it and aren't hosts to
1: the the fungal infection. I just did a quick Google search on Fiscus tuffy and it's a very popular fast growing hedge plant with bright emerald green foliage and it darkens with age
6: in, what, in what, what
1: country I wonder I wonder yeah I'm just trying to see it seems to be all that it, it, it seems to be New Zealand is coming up on, on here the ones in front I of must, me here I must
6: look it up I yeah it you, seems to be New I mean. Zealand
1: it seems to be New Zealand all the, all the websites so far that's come up in front of me here is New Zealand anyway uh, thank you for that okay let me go back to uh, let me go to another question for you um, I've got a hydrangea completely healthy looking lovely and green uh, but no flowers there's not even any buds on it this year could Peter, give me some advice,
6: please. I can, and I, I, it's you could try drenching it with, a, with a, again with a good quality organic tomato food to promote flower buds because it's not actually too late for this year. But I would say the fact that there's not a sign of a bud yet, we're probably clutching at straws. And my first question would be, and I, I, I'd be pretty confident that I'm correct on this, if it was pruned last winter. Uh, are, are early this spring and if so was it pruned a bit too hard because you, you know the, now, number the, the number seven the number seven seven nodes Trish, if you go below seven nodes when you're pruning uh, you will just lose flowers for a year or two you won't harm the plant and it will flower again but I suspect that's probably mm. what, it, what it is Yeah,
1: particularly when the rest of it looks so healthy and, and it's got all the leaves
6: yeah and if it's established and if it's there, there I'm assuming that it's flowered before and everything so yeah, I would imagine that's what it is
1: Vincent's lawn has a number of ant heaps under the surface and as a result the grass is very patchy. He's done repair jobs with compost and grass seeds on several occasions but he says the grass will sprout and grow and then die off again. Any suggestions?
6: No is the short answer uh, and, I, and I'm sorry to be so out of answers <laughs> on that one but when it comes to ants and ant heaps there's, there's really very little we can do. Um, you, I, I, I'm not an expert on, on how to eradicate ants I'm not going to pretend to be Um I, I would maybe, if you wanted to, to, to do as big a job as look at trying to improve drainage and see if that helps, but I, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm, it, it, that would probably be in a question more for uh, an ecologist or what's the, um, oh, it's gone for me, the insect specialists, but, uh, um, oh The ant man, I don't know. The, the ant man, yeah. <laughs> the, the, oh, it's gone for me. It'll yeah. come back to me now as soon as I'm off the air. But um no, I don't have a magic wand. Or someone like
1: rent to kill or one of those kind of groups? Yeah, but,
6: yeah, I, but wouldn't they... be, I wouldn't be in a rush to go out and kill them no, because no. it's their home. So yeah. but there, must be, there must be ways of managing it. Um, yeah, do you yeah. know what? I'll actually find out because I work quite closely with a, a lawn expert in the RHS lawn expert over in the UK. So I'll ask him his, his suggestions and okay. see if I have anything and I'll report and we'll, back.
1: We'll come back to us on that. Uh, Mary, uh, hi Peter. Is it too late to prune Flame of the Forest?
6: No, it's not really too late, but what you will do by pruning it now, the Flame of the Forest is grown for its beautiful red foliage. It's one of the main features of the plant. is It's new growth, this lovely red, hence the name Flame of the Forest, um, in, in kind of late spring. But it also flowers. It's got these beautiful white bell-shaped flowers, and by pruning it now, it's one of these plants that does set its flowers around now for next spring. So pruning it now, you're not too late, you're not going to harm the plant, and you'll have plenty of red growth next year, and even after you prune it now but you will most likely uh, sacrifice flowers next spring. So that's kind of up to yourself. If you, if you don't want to sacrifice the flowers next spring, wait until next year and just after they've flowered, which will probably be around April time, give it a cut back then.
1: Okay. Uh, hi, uh, Peter. Is the time gone now for picking rhubarb? Also, when can you separate it?
6: the time isn't gone for picking it I wouldn't say no pick away uh, provided it looks healthy and everything's good then pick away and you'd separate it during the winter months again kind in of November December January would be the time to do it
1: and is it too early to pick black currants somebody else wants to know
6: only if the if, if they're ripe, pick away. I haven't seen any ripe yet. I was just looking at some lovely brambles in the back of my own garden yesterday, feeling good about myself for not taking them out. <laughs> and um, I'm going to have a huge crop, but, uh, but they're nowhere near ripe yet.
1: And somebody wants to tell you it's an entomologist. Was that the word? Entomologist,
6: that you... exactly <laughs> hey, what I was well trying done. to think of. Thank we have you, yes. such
1: bright listeners, great I'm stuff. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah. have a terrific week and we'll talk to you again uh, next Wednesday.
6: We'll look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks for, for
1: that. That, for that. is uh, Peter Dowdle, the Irish com, Always a mine of information. Okay, let me just quickly go back to some of your uh, texts uh, that are coming in. Um, and this is on, um, this is particularly in advance of the uh, committee this afternoon, the media committee this afternoon, and RTE going before them. Uh, Maria says, Patricia, I'll probably be nailed to the cross with this comment, but. I kind of have pity for the chief financial officer because he's new to the job and it was actually him who asked for the barter account to be reflected in the main accounts. Just a piece of information that peeps might not know. Reaccounts and how figures are recorded. All items go under a specific nominated account. Number. So every barter account then would be recorded under that. I imagine the chief financial officer was in a bit of a kerfuffle last week when he said there was only one barter account, when in fact there was probably only one nominal account and all the barter accounts are recorded in that way. God help him but that doesn't take away from the fact that what has gone on has been so so disgraceful kind regards uh, says uh, Maria yeah I mean I, I wouldn't like to be any of them at the moment having their lunch now before they head in it's Goodness me. It's, it's, it's a tough, tough uh, uh, task. And hi, Patricia. Could you please bring attention to the works that are going on at Ballymacquirk Cross outside of uh, Canturk on the Mallow Killarney Road? If you're travelling from Mallow past the old Isle of Sky Hotel, there is an immediate bend. And this is just said there's no road signs before that to tell you that there are roadworks up ahead. I've experienced this quite recently and it's a serious crash waiting to happen at a junction where they're working on and we, God knows, we know that that work needs doing. It was at one stage deemed to be the most dangerous junction in Ireland, Ballymcquirk uh, Cross. So people, be aware of uh, that uh, when you're heading up there, particularly when you come around a Bend, because there is a series of bends before the road works. Be careful because there will be road works up ahead. OK, that's where I leave you for today. We will be back with you tomorrow and we've got, the, uh, we've got another one of our Maldron Hotel giveaways to give away tomorrow on the programme. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing the programme. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, as I say. We'll be back with you tomorrow at, at 10 o'clock. On to the line, Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon. Hey,
5: it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your
0: budget?